there are so many stories I could tell you about what went on at this conference, but I wouldn't be able to deliver the sermon, the message that I intended if I did that. So I, I want to tell you one. I sent out a little blurb on the message board um, kind of as a, uh, a general impression of what I experienced. On Friday evening, there was worship all throughout. On Friday evening, the worship was truly a time where we experienced the movement of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I don't say that lightly. The Holy Spirit is always present. The Holy Spirit uh, is always invited into every aspect of our lives. But in this particular conference, at this particular worship time, it rolled into an extended time of prayer and worship for the persecuted church around the globe. And there were representatives from various areas around the globe that were there. I, I can't tell you all the places they were from because this goes out on a live stream and it would not be good for them uh, if I were to advertise. But just imagine that you are a leader in the church in a place where if it were discovered that you were Christian and a leader in the church most especially, it might lead to your imprisonment or your death. This is what was moving this congregation of people, pastors and lay people, uh, in prayer, and there were people on their faces, there were people on their knees, there were people huddled together around uh, these leaders of these churches, and the Holy Spirit carried us for much longer than the schedule said we should have been there. In that same day, earlier, there was and I tell you this because a lot of times we think that when we see empty seats in our churches, empty seats, empty pews, a lot of times we think, you know, where are the Christians? Why are they not here sitting beside me and worshiping our God together? And sometimes we may think, are, are we the last generations in this country? And then we see things like what happened in Asbury, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit directed toward young people. And the thing that I sent out was just a quick impression because we were going constantly and there wasn't much time to stop and text or reflect Instead of the person who was supposed to preach, it was decided by that person that we allow uh, a student, a young girl that attends the Woodlands High School, 16 years of age, also a member of the youth group who is, is part of their youth outreach. And this young lady got up into the pulpit in front of 700 plus people and schooled all those pastors and teachers there how to deliver a message about the gospel, myself included. To hear her speak 
on being a radical messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ out beyond the walls, that was the name of the, the conference, the walls of the church, was Holy Spirit inspired. And yes, it's remarkable because she's 16, but it's even more remarkable that who is chosen to be a voice, an instrument, a vessel to carry the message doesn't depend on your age. It doesn't depend on your education. It doesn't depend on any of the things that we might consider important in um, the world. What it depends on is a humble, willing heart to deliver the message to the people. And this girl had that. The Holy Spirit had her. And it was remarkable. Now what I want to talk to you today about is along that vein, uh, just it wasn't planned, it's just how the Holy Spirit works. When the Holy Spirit wants to get a message across to the people of God, you tend to see it pop up over and over again, because that's how we learn is by repetition. Sometimes I'll miss it the first time. I may even miss it three or four times after that. But by golly, if you keep pounding me with the message, eventually I will understand, I'll come to understand that this is not happening by accident. The young people in the world are being invaded by the Holy Spirit. And that's a good thing. And oh, by the way, I see it in our own youth group. I see it in our youth leaders. I see the Holy Spirit working because there is a connection that God wants to make to the world before Jesus comes again that's coming not through guys with a collar on behind the pulpit, but through the lives of our children that the Holy Spirit has grabbed hold of and said, listen, there's a message for you for the rest of the world. Why is that happening? Well, it's happening because in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 1, John says, as he records what Jesus told his disciples, Very truly I tell you, Jesus said, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. There are people trying to get into the pulpits that have no business being there. There are people trying to gain the ear of the people that have no business preaching or teaching or really talking at all when it comes to matters of faith. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger. 
but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. Because I am the gate, whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm, I'm going to tell this to you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good. He's a sheep rustler. Because the shepherd walks right up to the gate and the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they're familiar with his voice. And they're not going to follow a stranger's voice. They'll scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. They'll run away from the stranger's voice because they are hardwired to know the sound of the shepherd's voice. So Jesus told them that simple story, but they didn't really have an idea of what he was trying to say to them. And so he tried again. He says, I'm going to be more plain in my explanation. I'm the gate for the sheep. All those others, they're no good. They're sheep stealers. Every one of them. But the sheep don't listen to them. If you're a genuine sheep, a follower of the shepherd, you tune out the voice of the thief. Because Jesus is the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for. will freely go in and out and find pasture. The sheep know that the thief is only there to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life. More and better life than they ever hoped for, dreamed of, or imagined. The life that Jesus wants to give his sheep is not just life, but life abundant. Not just life, but abundant life. Have you ever stopped to wonder what abundant life looks like? Or maybe more personally, have you ever wondered if your life is abundant? Are you living an abundant life? Well, I guess it all depends on what your perspective is on abundance. Whenever I preach this passage, I, I, I always have in my mind a story that a friend of mine who was a missionary to some of the smaller remote villages in Africa, and he tells this story. He was in Africa. It was mid-1980s. He was with a team in Ethiopia, and they were working in this small village 
that was struggling with hunger and sickness and, and there was a drought and so they couldn't grow food and so they relied on provisions to be brought from elsewhere. The problem is the provisions were, well, they were rather erratic. They weren't regular. And so there were times when abundance was not something that the people of this village knew with any regularity. And so in this village, there was a young woman who was the mother of three small children. The father had been killed the year before when some, uh, another tribe had raided their village. And they took some of the children out to sell into the sex trade industry. They took some of the young women for the same purpose. And they killed anyone that got in their way. And so this woman's husband, the father of her children, was killed as he tried to defend his family. And so this woman had been scratching out this meager existence for herself. Some days she would go without food so that her children could eat. And some days she could only feed one of them. And so each day if food was in short supply, the children would take turns eating. Can you imagine? Now she had a small blue bucket about like this. And in this bucket, she would collect the dried beans and dried rice that would come somewhat unreliably by relief workers every other week or so. Despite the hardship and the circumstances of her life, she would attend the worship time held by the mission team that was there. Now, this is not people on a mission trip. These are people who commit to years of their lives of being in one location for the sole purpose of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping in any way that they can, providing food and helping build shelter and schools and all the things that you and I probably take for granted. And so this woman would bring her children and they would sing and they would dance during the music time and they would sit and listen to Bible stories week after week, day after day. She was always faithful to attend and to bring her children. And one day this missionary friend of mine said, I'm going to visit this young family in their tiny dirt floored dwelling with walls of sticks and scraps of tin, grass for the roof pitched with mud that was pressed in to keep the grass in place. And my friend, this missionary, asked her, do you have enough food? And she smiled and she held up her small blue bucket, which on this particular day was half full of a mixture of dried rice and beans. And she said, yes, we have an abundance. God has provided today so that my whole family can eat together. 
We have an abundance, she said. Would you like to see what an abundance looks like for her? Can you feed four people in your family on this? And yet, this is an abundance for this woman. Yes, I have an abundance. All of us are going to eat at the same table today. All of us are going to share a meal together. We're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray to God in heaven, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, because He has provided an abundance. See, looking at her circumstances, we all should be thanking God that we live in a land where even our times of scarcity are like great wealth and plenty as compared to the rest of the world. See, abundance is a matter of perspective. Abundance is a matter of attitude. The abundance isn't determined by the amount of food. The abundance is determined by the relationship with Jesus Christ. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, Jesus said. See, the life abundant comes from Jesus. The life abundant is lived through Jesus, because of Jesus. When we believe on Jesus, we will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. See, pasture is a place of abundance and safety and security. That's the place in Psalm 23 when Jesus the shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures beside still waters where we shall not want. That's the place where He restores our souls and leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. See, pastures is abundance. Where do you go for abundance? Where do we go for abundance? Where do we find abundance? What was you and I do to find green pastures? <coughs> Angie read from the book of Acts, chapter 2, 42 through 47, the early church knew the formula for abundant life. Their formula and ours has four parts. If you're taking notes, now's a good time to jot this down. What, are the, what does the early church teach us about abundant life? First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They got into the scriptures. They listened to their teachers. They learned all they could about Jesus and his teaching and about God the Father and the Holy Spirit now dwelling in them as believers. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The second thing, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Listen to this. They spent time in relationship in their community of believers, shared meals, did things together, shared one another's burdens and successes. Do you want to know why we have meals at the Bible study? 
Because it's a spiritual discipline. Yeah, it's sustenance for the body. It's, it's that. It's a spiritual discipline. Breaking bread together reveals to us the Christ in the midst of us. That's why we do it. Oh, it's convenient, and yeah, there's some good food. It's the spiritual nourishment that we're after. Three, they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. They understood the importance of regular communion with one another and with their Lord. They practiced Holy Communion, breaking the bread, drinking the wine in remembrance of Jesus' mighty acts on the cross and in the grave and in His resurrection, which gave us, you and me, abundant life. And four, they devoted themselves to the prayers. They worshiped and they prayed. And they prayed together regularly, lifting one another up, keeping one another accountable so that all would remain spiritually fed and spiritually healthy. See, the early Christians found the formula for abundant life. And that formula was that life abundant is only life abundant with Jesus woven into it as part of the very fabric of our life. And when they did that, things happened in the church. Verse 43, awe came upon everyone. Because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Life abundant. It's not about quantity. It's about the quality of life with our Savior. Life abundant is green pastures and still waters. Life abundant is a small blue bucket filled with dried beans and rice so long as you have Jesus as your shepherd. How abundant is your life? With Jesus as your Lord, no matter your circumstances. Your life is abundantly eternal. 
really is a matter of perspective, is it not? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sorry, my bad. Getting <laughs> deep.